Support for WERU comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at maineboats.com. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning. Good morning. It's the second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. And all around this wet world at WERU.org. I'm Alan Sprague, and I'm here with Mike Joyce. We're the rusty anchors of the Boat Talk. It's a call-in show for people contemplating things naval. And it's a show for uh, full-fledged captains, or if you're just like me, an inferior decorator, that'll work too. Or even if you don't know anything at all about boats, we try to make it interesting for everybody. And we have a whole raft of issues today to talk about, Mike. Let's just jump right into that. You you see your, you, you, uh, you know, the old rusty anchor thing? I'm past that, man. Yeah. And, oh, no. uh, you know... Um, I've always said that I don't have to be an expert in real life because I play one on the radio, but now I'm a movie star. You are? Well. You least, are, too. At least your voice is. No, you are. Well, hey, but, don't quibble, man. I'm a movie star, all <laughs> <laughs> right? Raw yes, Faith. We should talk about that. That's Raw for sure. Faith, the family saga. The Boy. movie is out, and I've seen it, and I give it two thumbs up, even though I am in it. Uh, five stars, even though Alan is in it. Yep. And uh, just think it's a really charming movie, even though it has the devil himself in it. My friend Ed, the uh, uh, Rockland Harbor Master, I spoke to him last night, too, and uh, uh, he is, quote, uh, the devil in the movie, but uh, even Ed likes it. So, yeah. Good. I'm glad Ed saw it, too. It is, uh, I would say, a pretty balanced movie, so it's uh, very interesting in that regard. Yeah, it doesn't preach. It just lays it out, mm-hmm. and uh, sort of how it happened to the family, too. They didn't. They love each other, but they don't overanalyze it or, or overtalk it out, either. They just do what they do, and, and the movie just lays it all right in front of you. And I think that all the people who speak as experts, including you and I, uh, from the Boat Talk perspective... Um, uh, Finn Sprague from down to Portland Yacht Services. Yep. Um, the schooner people out of Rockland there. Um, Ed, the harbor master in uh, Rockland, um, all speak exactly truth from their points of view. But George is living his dream, and and I guess I nailed it when I I point out that it's hard to get other others to harmonize on your dream. You did, yeah. That was a good point. You know, and that's the thing. Everybody going, hey man, this is not my dream. You know, uh, his wife going, it's not my midlife crisis. Uh, okay, I sold my house, but you know. Yeah. Um, Really good movie, and coincidentally, you get a chance to see it Thursday night. That That's right. Uh, Thursday night, the 12th, at Hammond Hall in Winter Harbor at 7 p.m. We're going to be uh, presenting the movie, and uh, we're going to have a little table set up up in the lobby, too, for people who'd like to uh, stop by and talk to the Boat Talk guys. we got some paraphernalia to 
to give away, and we'd like to talk with anybody who'd like to talk about raw faith or anything else too. Um, do you think we should give a little little uh, quick history of raw faith for people who don't know what we're talking about? Um, it was a uh, call from God. Uh, and again, you call it a midlife crisis in, in different terms, but George McKay is, is uh, living in the in, uh, middle of Maine on a lake in a castle, homeschooling his uh, three boys and his daughter in a wheelchair. And uh, he is having too much time in the car, driving back and forth to the San Nova Scotia uh, of uh, Massachusetts, you know, for his enge- electrical engineering job and thinks to build a boat. Doesn't think to tell the wife for quite a period of time after he thinks to build a boat. Mulls on it for a while and then springs it on the wife and she goes for it. So is the family. And they move to Addison, Maine. They kind of impoverish themselves and find a pile of, as you say, mildly inappropriate materials and do build a boat. Yeah, and by uh, questionable techniques. <laughs> well, and um, as uh, Finn Sprague pointed out, Portland Yacht Services, uh, anybody can build a boat that will uh, float in shore. Just, you know. That boat would have lived a long time if nobody he, had ever taken it off shore. He made a good point, yeah, yeah. If, he, if he used it within uh, reasonable limits. Same as the bounty, uh, honestly, except for different. And bounty was more of a boat to start off with. So, um, But, yeah, a really nice movie. It's well, a good, interesting movie. Oh, it, it looks nice, and it has a lot of uh, people from down East Maine wander through this movie, uh, including the people down to Addison Jonesport that I hope show up a little bit down in Winter Harbor on Thursday night, mm-hmm. um, who helped uh, build and, and shove the thing into the water. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's just a really nice movie. It's, it uh, looks like Maine. You can't help but, uh, you know, see your surroundings in this movie, and everybody likes to see that, so... Mm. Two thumbs up. Well, Two thumbs five up. Five stars, yeah. 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 Thursday. Oscar next. material for, uh, you know. It is. Some of the cast, anyway. Yep. Thursday evening, 7 o'clock at Winter Harbor, um, Hammond Hall, which is uh, right, go all the way, doing, what is it, Route 184 from Route 1 down to Winter Harbor. Yeah. And when you get down to the uh, the T, right, when you're facing the harbor, just turn right, and Hammond Hall is just down there about a, a quarter of a mile or so. Yeah, and uh, Winter Harbor, about, uh, as they say, about half an hour, more or less, past uh, Ellsworth on a Thursday night. Looking forward the, to it. And the road ain't that bad right now, so, yeah. you know, come on down. We have Ben on the phone. Let's uh, jump to Ben because his time is limited. Yeah. Ben Ellison, good morning. How are you? Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Ben. Ben, former uh, WERU host and uh, nowadays noted uh, intrepid uh, magazine correspondent for for, uh, more than a couple magazines, I guess. And and, uh, we were down to the boat show, Alan, and we were uh, looking at the uh, Covey Island Nova Scotia boys, and they were on a boat that had a lot of electronics on it. It sure did. And we were very surprised. (laughs) Turns out it belonged to our friend Ben Ellis. Yeah. I got to say, Ben. Sorry, I didn't see you guys there. It's Ellison. Ellison, yeah. Sorry, Ben. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Ben, uh, um, when I first saw that boat, before I realized it was yours, I saw the cockpit and I said, "Boy, that looks like an aircraft cockpit." <laughs> I, I hope you're taking that as a compliment. Yes, it, uh, you know it's it really is a, a, a laboratory. I, you know, thanks to the major electronics companies, I've got kind of one each of the four major brands: four radars, at least one chart plotter multi-function display to go with that radar often two one up one down and lots of you know accessory stuff ais side scanning sonar fish finders um i'm 
kind of amazed. I've traveled up and down the East Coast with it without being pulled over by, you know, NSA or something. <laughs> Before having too many antennas, yes. Yeah. So you're kind of a, a floating uh, consumer reports, as it were, on electronics. That's, yeah. That's great. Yeah, I've got a situation where I can compare the major brands and add a new piece of equipment very often that, you know, they're networked to each other so I can bring it down, add it, you know, easily have a look at it. So, um, yeah, I've gotten into this life of testing stuff and writing about it, going to boat shows, that sort of thing. You have a uh, great column in Maine Boats, Homes and Harbors magazine who uh, lets us do the boatyard dog thing, and we got to woof at those people because we had a good time doing it again this year. And, and uh, you know, they'll probably have us back again next year. Uh, you travel up and down the coast in, in uh, your small motorboat and, and uh, point out harbors of interest, which is cool. But yeah. you, you write for other magazines as well, Ben. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Well, um the, the main boats, homes, and harbors is kind of the hobby side. Though I actually, I mean, credit to John Hansen for encouraging me to start writing it, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. And uh, <clears throat> that's about my enjoying cruising in Maine. Though I've gotten to use a lot of technology to make chartlets and explore places and gunk coal and stuff like that. But I started writing for the some of the bigger magazines. I'm currently... Uh, mostly supervising other edit, you know, tech editing for passage maker, soundings, sail, and power, and motor yacht. And and then my main writing myself is a blog called Pambo, which is, they say that in boat speak, Papa, Alpha, November, Bravo, <laughs> Oscar. And that's all about marine electronics. And it, I write it entries and sometimes they have guest writers on it and it it is also syndicated is the word for it it appears at the site of sale magazine it appears at the site of pmy and sometimes soundings uses material from it so pambo is my main thing nice i have been uh just uh ramming up and down the coast uh delivering boats recently and get to see a lot of different rigs you know and have been impressed by a couple of things. Of uh, you know, I'm no uh, high tech, uh, cutting edge fellow, but I do get to see some stuff. Um, you know, and really impressed by the chart plotters nowadays, especially where they put the AIS automatic identification system. You can uh, call up the identity, course, speed, and heading of a boat, and it also plots it in real time on your chart in front of you. So you know who he is, where he's headed, how fast, and and uh, just kind of pops up there. That's pretty cool. But also, Ben, the uh, the smartphones. Everybody seems to be navigating with the smartphone nowadays. Well, I hope not too many are navigating with the phone. I, th- I, I think the phones and the tablets are fantastic, and I write a lot about those the applications, but I, I don't see them as primary navigation except in pretty small boats. Him as helpers themselves. Uh, limitations thereof. Um, uh, we're taking a Nordic uh, tug uh, to uh, you know the Chesapeake and uh, going up the Delaware Bay in the night last week, and 
and uh, I can't touch the owner's iPad because uh, it's not charging right, and we don't want anything to go wrong with it. So I have to take the chart as it comes to me. I can't scroll ahead, and I don't have a paper chart. And I've been up the Delaware Bay a bunch of times, including in the night, and I'm confident enough to just stay over the side of the channel. But, again, that's not the best way to navigate a boat now, is it, Miracle or not? Right. I, I, I like a lot of chart plotters in some of the apps. You know, we'll, we'll do look ahead on a chart so that as the chart moves under the boat, the boat is, you know, down the screen if you're head up. I'm a, I've become a head up navigator. Yeah, me too. Of, yeah. Um, so look ahead. I, I've always liked that function. Now every chart plotter's got it, and quite a number of apps will do it. Oh, I'm just saying uh, uh, the urge not to zoom in or out or or even touch the thing in any way, shape, or form, try not to molest it so that it didn't uh, disappear on us because it was our primary. And and the captain has a uh, smartphone and, uh, you know, can... uh, call up a place, uh, give you a route to it, uh, see the boat on a chart in real time, identify any ship in front of us, want a chart of Antarctica, it's in your smartphone. It's just amazing. If he's getting his AIS from a phone, he is dependent on volunteers along the shore who are receiving AIS and putting it on the Internet. Now, I think that's a neat thing, and I, I am one of those volunteers, as is, Maine Maritime Academy, and somebody recently set up in Southwest Harbor. So if you go to, you know, there's websites, Marine Traffic, kind of the primary one, where you can see a lot of boats in, in on the coast of Maine right now. But it's not like real AIF. Uh, it's not like having a VHF receiver on the boat that captures every AIS signal around you. The, the other way is kind of it's often laggy, and it's definitely the coverage is not complete at all. So, Ben, you're telling me that uh, his phone is receiving a different clue than the uh, chart plotter. That um, It's the same GP- information, but it got to the phone in a much more roundabout huh. route. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's ashore, the voodoo. It actually that... went to Greece, probably. Wow. And back again. Wow. <laughs> and, and, wow. <laughs> What would let's drop Nathaniel Bowditch aboard or or uh, Lucky Jack Aubrey? What would they make of it now? You know Horatio Nelson. I mean, what would they make of it? Oh, I think I think that's like asking what Hirschhoff would think of the America's Cup. I think he would think it was fantastic. Yeah, um, people disagree with me, but um, carbon fiber and hydrofoiling and um, no, I think uh, I. I I think the old days are a little romanticized. Um, you know, I think they're very experienced, very good navigators got in trouble a fair bit. And there was probably a, a fairly high level of command tension. Do you know what I mean? Um, you probably experienced yourself in, sure. in, in fog and the uncertainty is really killer. Just not being quite sure where you were. And, yeah. Um, that is good for your uh, staying aware, but um, but I I think most people appreciate how good this stuff is. Mm-hmm. Let me put you on the spot, Ben. Yeah. Do, do you actually have paper charts that you keep uh, nearby at least when you're in unfamiliar waters? I do. Yeah. I do, but it's not. I don't turn to them very often. But I but I did uh, I did once 
and I, I wrote about it a case down in uh, Moorhead City where the electronic charts messed me up, and it was a, it was an uncomfortable, confusing channels, and and it and honest to be quite frank, um, it was just happenstance that the paper chart was unfolded to the right place over on the chart table, <clears throat> and I went and looked at it. <clears throat> but but I I have the equivalent of paper charts on which are called raster charts. You know, they're like photographs or scans of charts. Mm-hmm. I, I use those a lot on a on a screen. You know, even chart plotters like uh, the Furuno latest Navnet series will show a chart that looks it is the equivalent of the paper chart, and and I favor those. And it's probably um, it's somewhat my age, but I but I also the conversion to the other form of chart, which is vector, where it's really just a database of information, and it's being um, the image is being created on the screen. Um, they haven't that they don't, it's they're not always perfect. I like seeing what what a cartographer decided to emphasize on a chart. I mean, there is a there is a human element in a paper chart that cannot be duplicated in a vector chart. Also, to look ahead again, uh, you know, the size of a screen, it's hard to roll the chart ahead and maintain perspective and, and see the things around you. And yeah. on a paper chart, it's got some size to it, and you can flip to another page. And I find it uh, easier to orient myself um, is, is what I like. But I find myself uh, delivering boats with no paper charts on them going, uh-oh. And, yeah. uh, you know. It doesn't, uh, but redundancy, your boat, boy, you got four or five, everything. You are all set. Redundancy <laughs> I, I is a great, that's a great principle in electronics, though, right there. Let's, isn't it, though? Well, uh, just a couple thoughts. I don't think there's nothing that pans and zooms as quick as a, the human head, neck, eyeball system. Um, on the other hand, the chart plotters and the apps are all getting much faster and bigger screens are getting less expensive and people are realizing just because they have a smallish boat doesn't mean I should only have a really small screen. Um, that's, that doesn't really make sense when you think about it, unless, except perhaps financially. Um, so, um, yeah, we're overcoming those things, but, but you're right. I mean, paper charts, plus they're just unbelievable technology. The paper chart is amazing. Oh, How yes. much information is on there. Here's uh, another good example for you. We're delivering this uh, 1750s bald-headed Chewbacca pinky schooner, uh, Lewis H. Story there uh, down to southwest from Gloucester, Massachusetts, and we're coming out of the Fox Island thoroughfare in the morning, just thick of thick of fog, Can't, you know, as thick as it gets. We've got a Sabre 30 with us with a radar and a chart plotter to lead the way, but... The people on the Sabre are not experienced at using it in the fog. So us on the, um, un, we don't even have a, a compass, basically. Uh, uh, but we have a handheld GPS, and we end up leading the modern boat because we have more experience on, on the old, mm-hmm. you know, is what it come down to in that situation. So still does tell. Yeah. We, there is a lack of experience out there. No question about it. And it makes it easier for people to get places where they maybe shouldn't easily be. And, and again, the sea will, 
you know, who think you can out-tech the sea, well, you shall be humbled uh, sometime, I would say. But in general, it's a miracle. Now, you were telling me about uh, new technology, FLIR technology. Thermal camera. Yes, I've been testing one recently. I'm going out tonight, as a matter of fact. Um, Yeah, absolute sea and pitch dark. Different from the night vision, which um, I had a monocular night vision. That thing was beautiful, and and it it gathered a little bit of casual light and make uh, things glow in the dark in front of you. Uh, Lobster buoys, other buoys, uh, you know. But this is not... There's several technologies, and I think what you had is... um, and very, a lot of confusing terms, infrared, night vision, thermal, they, they all kind of overlap. I mean, the thermal spectrum is very broad, and they're, they're, there's, there's light just outside visible light that can be enhanced electronically. I think that's what you have, and those, they need some ambient, you know, sun source or, you know, light source, and they also need... Um, you know, they kind of amplify the light out there. Did, did your monocular, if you if you um, shook your hand a little bit, did the images kind of yeah um, blur? Yeah, ghost around on yeah, the screen. Yeah. Yes, this this technology does not do this. This is further out in the thermal band. It's you know they're they're reading pure heat. It, it doesn't have those characteristics. It needs no light whatsoever, uh, though. So it has applications even in daylight because you're, what you're seeing is heat, not light. So it's a different kind of sight. You, I can I can look around the harbor, and if a if a boat's been running recently, I can see the heat in the hull. I can see where the engine is. I can often see the frames if it's a you know metal boat or um, wooden boat. Yeah, because there are heat differences on that hull. Density so, differences, yeah. By the same token, a, 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 somebody in the water is like a light bulb. Um, you know, you're not looking at light. You're looking at heat, and the heat difference is so big. So they have real value kind of man overboard. You can look right into glare on the water. There's no glare. Um, mm. You're just looking at what you see. Um, so it's, it's really fascinating. I mean, it's being used surveying. There are all kinds of uses for it, but it's certainly nice at night on the water. And and the one I have is quite elaborate. Uh, it's up at the masthead. It spins around 360. It'll go up and down. And the fascinating thing I started telling you about is it's a number of <clears throat> multifunction displays, radar, chart systems can integrate with it so they can start doing things like automatically putting the camera back over the stern if there's a man overboard alarm or if there's an AIS alarm the camera goes right to the target and keeps tracking it Um, which so instead of kind of looking around like you would be with a binocular using a joystick or whatever the camera is tied to your navigation it's going where where the objects of interest are without you having to do anything yeah wow have yeah. you seen any porpoise with that, Ben? No, that'd be interesting. I um, think so. It, 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 it's not real quick. It, it has such military op, uh, applications that they are limited in the 
like the refresh rate, like video refresh rate. So it's not good at things that are moving super fast. Hmm. You have to be military or somebody to buy the faster camera. Well, the just, boating world, not much goes really fast. Well, um, it'll probably come around. Was just yeah. surrounded by uh, hundreds of dolphins off uh, the coast of uh, Long Island in New Jersey and also hundreds of turtles, and they were slower. So um be interesting, as I say, to point it at a lot of different stuff. Now, Ben, I, I just had a breakthrough idea here how we're all going to get rich and we'll cut right through it. Um, oh, great. Every, everybody <laughs> should have their own observation satellite slaved right to their own navigation needs, okay? So I have a satellite uh, giving me real time of any kind of picture I want, uh, video, uh, infrared, uh, you know, whatever frequency yeah. I want to display on, on my screen in front of me. Also, uh, my neighbors, uh, you know, uh, and uh, threat levels on them, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff, right? Let's go right to the satellite. Yeah, chicks on the foredeck of the next boat ahead. <laughs> well, um, there's something vaguely like that, not a oh, satellite, man, but that... um, <laughs> we go. it's worth mentioning, but because it's a little behind again, the main product. But uh, this is a free app called um, Smart Chart AIS, and what's unique about it, it's got it's got charts in it, weather, AIS feeds. Um, it's made by a company in Brunswick called. TSI, and their specialty is working with the military and doing what's called augmented reality, where you're looking at the camera image up ahead of the boat, but superimposed on it are like uh, outlines of nav buoys or maybe a predetermined track into a beach you're about to assault, you know, your other boats. So you can keep actually seeing ahead without looking down at, you know, objects that, that yeah. you can't see. Wow. Um, so they got that in the phone. You turn the phone up, and you can see buoys out in the bay. You can see the names of a of an AIS vessel. Um, it also includes active captain cruising information, which I hope you're aware of. Also another main-based um, and wonderful uh, app kind of product, you know, active captain. That's Thailand two knows, I think. <laughs> uh, just thinking also the uh, irony that sometimes the whole voyage comes down to the proper charging cord, uh, you know, whether it's, oh, yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it can all crash on something. Oh, yeah. A proper oh, yacht these days has like a closet for charging all kinds of little oh, man. gadgets. Yeah. <laughs> Um, ben, you, uh, we got to uh, real quick reference uh, on your panbow.com website there, uh, blog site. Great pictures of a uh, boat crash, a uh, sailboat crashed on a ledge off of Camden on a sunny day under full sail, was dismasted uh, yep. uh, with pictures. 70-foot, very nice boat um, on charter. And, yeah, middle of the day, right after high tide unfortunately and uh what what got me interested i mean it was an interesting local story and i hadn't heard about it that day but the next morning i was down in the harbor and i saw this yacht that i'd seen just a few days before looking very bright and um there it was at wayfair marine with just a short stub of a mast and looking pretty beat up um but it was floating on its own bottom i might notice 
But some of the forums of sailors out there started jabbering about... There's a faction in the world that will blame any marine accident on marine electronics. And for some... I guess because of what I do, I... I, it irritates me because I think there's so many. I think it's really interesting analyzing accidents like, uh, you know, professional mariner does and that sort of thing. And so often it's it's about experience. It's about resource management, people. Electronics are just tools. But So I did a little diatribe there I, uh, showing all the different electronic charts for that area and the fact that the ledge the boat hit is very, very well charted. It is not marked by a buoy, but it's, you know, people go through there all the time. Um, and it, a, lot, a great discussion ensued about navigation and not, not becoming complacent because your tools are really good. And I, I think a lot, of, a lot of ERU listeners might enjoy it. And on a beautiful sunny day, and again, uh, most often the the whole sail and mast doesn't fall down either, and the boat tipped over on a rock on a fallen tide. Very very dramatic stuff. Like to make the joke. Uh, does that captain's next uh, job in, involve phrases like port and starboard, or more like paper or plastic? You know, so um, he had a very You're bad day. Very bad um, day. Hey, work. I think you know. I've hit ledges out there. I, I I feel bad for when people. Everybody mistakes. everybody uh, who's ever been anywhere has yes, but uh, yeah. again the the big yacht league is kind of a one strike you're out league in in my experience. So you know, it's not well. All it's that always it'd be interesting to see if there was a unnecessary failure. A lot of people think the rig should not have come down. Yeah, um, carbon fiber, big rig, and um, the local help was stellar. No, you know, no one, the, 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 the maid or stewardess did go down the companion way and was pretty beat up. I don't know details, but I think there were six charter passengers, captain, stewardess, which in my view is, might be part of the problem right there. That's just a big workload for a guy running a 70 foot boat. And I think the stewardess was hired for the, you know, short term. So it's, it's all on him, and um, he messed up, you know, but he had a lot of things, probably talking, answering questions, making sure people were comfortable, uh, handling the boat, you know, a lot going on. It was, um, but but Proc Marine and Wayfarer Marine did an incredible job. Proc got a barge out there, lifted the, the, the mast onto it, Stayed in place till I think like midnight while the boat went on its side and came up again. Mm. Wayfair got rooms for all the passengers and cell phones and, you know, I think comforted the captain a lot, which I think is the appropriate response and, you know, didn't took, took care of what he what needed to be done. Yeah. He probably felt like. Oh, vital. Yeah. Dog doo doo. Vital. Because you need help, uh, uh, local local knowledge, local help, big time. Uh, yeah. yeah, Ben, your your uh, job there is not just a job; it's an adventure, and and you get around a little bit. You mentioned the America's Cup. You gonna go see him? Uh, aren't you? I will be there Thursday. Well, I all am right. Flying to San Francisco tomorrow. I'm so excited. I can't, can't How do you watch it. those boats? They go by so fast. 
crazy things. I, 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 I'm going to be a guest of a New Zealand company that that is a backer of Team New Zealand. So I'll, I'll, on Thursday morning at 10, I go on to the New Zealand compound on the waterfront there, and apparently part of the day is going out in, you know, a big rib, probably one of those ones with triple 300s on it. And I don't know how close we get to go to the racing, but I, I think I'll get close to that boat. I'll just certainly feel the vibes of them getting ready, and, and it looks to be extremely competitive racing now. I, I don't know if you watch this weekend, but um, a lot of people who were very skeptical about this got converted over this weekend, um, you know, that it could be real sailing, match racing. Um, and how fast are these catamarans going? They, on the second race on Sunday, which which the one Oracle won, she seems to be doing a little bit better in heavier air. In heavy air, they're talking 22 knots. Both boats had top speeds of uh, around 45 knots and average speeds on the course close to 30. Wow. That's amazing for a second. Yeah, and most of, the, most of the boat's not in the water while they're doing that, too. It's kind of flying mostly no, through the No, they're riding air. on foils, yeah. and, they're, um, and they're very tricky to keep them on the foils. Balancing the original that. design did not anticipate foiling, um, and there's some limits to it. They, yeah, these boats yeah. would hydrofoil better if the design was you know, meant to permit it. New Zealand are the guys who figured out they could really make it work, and once once they did, everybody had to do it. Alexander Graham Bell had hydrofoils on his boat. I got an Aquacat at the dock at my house, a little 12-foot silly old catamaran. I'm going to add foils to that, I'm thinking now. So it's pretty cool stuff. Uh, so you're out getting around, Ben, and, and again, uh, um, you know, uh, writing for a number of different magazines there. Panbow.com is the place to check, though, isn't it? Yeah, thanks. Oh, thank you, Ben. Good, good t- talking to you. Yeah, great. Ben, uh, like I say, we told him we'd uh, not keep him too long this morning, and we don't have a working clock in here, so trying to be a little sensitive to time this morning. And, and, yeah, I uh, got a lot of um, stuff to do. <laughs> it's, it's actually a long trip. I'm going to Ibex as well. So Yeah, that's what I was uh, searching for. I knew we'd forgot something, which is the uh, Marine uh, uh, Trade Conference put on by Wooden Boat Magazine <laughs> slash Professional Boat Builder Magazine. Where's yeah. that at this year? Excellent. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, it, yeah, it's all boat building. There's no, no real boats, but every part and tool in the process and... Uh, Lots of lots of educational stuff, and I, I, this will be my third year in a row. I really like it. Pretty cool. Like I say, don't forget to enjoy the trip while you're out there, Ben. I'll try. And uh, keep us updated a little bit on the technical side here on Boat Talk. Again, I was surprised when I see these things. I probably shouldn't be, uh, me being yeah. an alleged marine professional and all. And <laughs> But, you know, don't subscribe to the magazines or, or read all the latest blogs. And, uh, and again, should be. So, um, but, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, give me a call. Good to talk to you, Ben. Thank you, All man. right. I enjoy yep. the show. Thanks. Ben Allison from uh, Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors Magazine, uh, Sail, uh, and, and a bunch of other... Uh, Penbow.com. Yeah, uh, and Penbow.com. And, uh, a, again, former WERU programmer. We were talking about the old days of WERU. 
when we were chatting the other week. And now on our 25th anniversary, we have not only the WERU anniversary coming up, but a world premiere. Got to mention once again, uh, not so much a world premiere as the Downey's premiere. Yeah. How about the Winter Harbor premiere? <laughs> the, uh, the, yeah, back to its roots premiere, we'll call it, um, at um, Hammond Hall in Winter Harbor, which I stand corrected, is down Route 186. Uh, go down Route 186 from Route 1 to Winter Harbor. Hang a right when you get to the, uh, to the T there, and Hammond Hall is right there. Thursday evening, 7 o'clock, for the showing of the movie Raw Faith. And we'll hang out afterwards and, and uh, you know, apparently just chit-chat with people who are interested in yeah, such gonna stuff. Yeah, we're going to have some, uh, some of the uh, Boat Talk posters printed up, the, you know, the little ones we have with the sailboat in the island in the background. Yeah. Maybe the water spout, too. We'll see. There you some go. Some of the little... And, uh, again, uh, I haven't met anybody who hasn't really been charmed by the movie. And, uh, you know, uh, can, I can recommend it unreservedly, uh, again, even though I uh, and Alan really have kind of a starring role, you know. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't get it going without us, let's put it that think, way. They well, should have used us more, Alan. They yeah. should have used more of us. Yeah. That's what I thought. More royalties. Oh, boy, they left a lot of us on the We do have a, a phone call. Why was that? Let's save the day and go to the phone call. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, good morning. Uh, this is Joe down in Rockland. Hi, Joe. Morning, and Joe. you know, for a long time, Raw Face sat out here in the harbor. It sure did. Um, any chance of that movie coming down this way? It uh, already showed in Rockland. It did? It did. Well, I believe where it was did. I? Huh. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, my uh, friend was telling me about sitting behind uh, the harbor master, Ed Glazier, at the theater there, and... I believe it showed uh, in Rockland, if not, or in Camden, but it certainly has been showed down that way. Um, He is um, uh, the fellow who... uh, Greg Roscoe? Greg Roscoe, yes. uh, uh, Seaboard uh, Productions. And he has been getting great reviews. Seaworthy Seaworthy Productions. productions. I'm sorry. Been getting great reviews, but not big audiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So well, he can have a dozen people in an evening in Waterville uh, watching the movie and, and, you know. Throw out a little little teaser that we are considering and haven't finalized any date or time, um, f- talking with the Colonial in Bucksport, showing it there in, in connection with Penobscot Marine Museum. Well, maybe so it'll be maybe, out on the DVD at some point. It will be true. That's true. It, um, if you go to the website, um, rawfaithmovie.com, Okay. I believe you can get DVDs there. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Sure. Good talk to you this morning, Joe. We are doing boat talk, splish and splash. Not near as funny as click and clack, but, you know, we would get to laugh every once in a while, hopefully at ourselves. And, yep. Um, boat talk on community radio. We have another member of the community radio community, anyway, who would like to be on the radio. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Captain Yo in Tremont. Good morning, Yo. At the risk of sounding like a Luddite, I'd like to point out there's an ironic similarity between feeling your way around with a delicate device and the early explorers feeling their way around without any charts of the local waters. The difference that I see with the modern devices is that they attract attention inside the vessel. Yep. Whereas the early explorer's attention was directed outside the vessel. 
And I think that's a crucial aspect of all these electronics. Uh, as a Luddite, I'm not all that familiar with them, but I have observed that it's typical to pay attention to the device and to relax the lookout. Keeping an adequate lookout is one of the most important safety rules of the sea. So I'd just like to add that comment about the use of devices. Thanks for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Thank you, Yo. Yo, as he as he uh, often is, is, is right, and you do get your head down sometimes. And uh, I was also just riding a passenger down, up and down the interstates, and watch people in the other cars, see how many of them got their heads down, typing on something in the lap sound, and it would shock you. And those are the ones you assume are all sober. We saw one lady uh, in Connecticut, she's driving up the road, and she's leaning over, and what's she doing? She's uh, uh, desperately blowing into a breathalyzer tube, okay? Because uh, she has to re-blow this thing every once in a while, or her car will shut down in five minutes. If she so, so she's uh, like I say, very unsafely traveling at high speed right next to me. Trying, oh man! And again, you uh, you think everybody's got their head up and knows where they're going, and, <laughs> I didn't and you can't think that in cars or boats. About the same percentage. Yeah. Things that's weird. We have another phone call, so let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi. Good morning, uh, Fred in Tennant Harbor. Hi, Fred. Morning, Fred. Hey. Uh, uh, regarding the uh, sailboat accident, uh, as usual, my immediate thought is biorhythms because I've checked them out. And uh, matter of fact, on a, on a sailboat, and uh, um, a real good uh, tool to uh, find out uh, which day of the year or the month you should uh, stay in bed or close to it. And uh, regarding raw faith, I saw it at the Strand, I guess uh, three, four weeks ago, and. Uh, I think it's a uh, magnificent cautionary tale about uh, on a number of levels, and I agree that it's a, an incredible piece of work as a documentary, an incredible story, and uh, that uh, even people who aren't boat people uh, might enjoy it a lot. Cautionary, Fred, you're you're a dreamer, man. You're you're all about dreams and miracles now. Um, Absolutely. Cautionary tale. This man again. I. Um, thought they should have used more of our boat talk thing uh, me arguing with alan about um you know he's crazy was well, living a dream let's let him do it yeah we had the the good cop bad cop thing going there for a yeah, while well that's a crazy dream well it's a dream let him do it i was all for the um you know try let him let him do the dream if he can right. a lot of people can't pull the dream off and left lesser cover kind of a uh, stubborn and and kind of uh you know uh stubborn minded like george yep you know, you got to be mildly difficult to, to persevere through some of that dreaming, <laughs> ironically enough. Anyway, thanks for a great program. Yeah, oh. thank you, Fred. Thank you, Fred. Hey, speaking of Fred and Tenants Harbor and uh, Yo and mapping and everything, and, and uh, um, we uh, just got to fly up the coast from Boston in the puddle jumper last week, too, okay? Back to Bar Harbor from Boston and, and the little Cessna there and... Boy, you talk about an uh, uh, aid to nap, uh, mapping. If you'd had the Cessna uh, while you were trying to chart the, core, the coast, or what a great thing to look down on where you've just been and see all the silly rocks and ledges they leave out there. <laughs> um, 
you know, just even flying up uh, past Portsmouth there, and you see Boone Island sitting out there, a little sand spit, a little lighthouse on it. And why would they leave that right in the middle? And there's nothing near it, okay? Mm-hmm. And some uh, men come to grief there in the 1740s and had to eat each other. Uh, you know, Boone Island, Kenneth Ro- uh, Roberts, all that. But uh, what a great view from the, from the airplane. Boy, you can't hide anything from a pilot. And ironically, the next day, we were right down there in, in the uh, fog and the rain on a different boat. So didn't even see the plane go by. It was, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have our next guest online. Uh, this is Josh Kohut, who is a assistant professor of marine and coastal sciences at the School of Environmental and Biological Sciences at Rutgers University down in New Jersey. Welcome to Boat Talk, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, you, um, I spoke about you during the last show briefly, are going to be sending a Slocum glider out on a real adventure. So let's start very, I guess, for people who don't know what a Slocum glider is, start off with a description of that. Sure. The Slocum glider is a, it's an underwater robot that we use in ocean observing, and it's getting more and more utilized. Um, they're completely unmanned. Uh, they are about six feet long. They weigh about 100 pounds in air, and um, they move around the ocean completely on their own. We send them a series of waypoints, as you might on the GPS or chart plotter on your boat, uh, and it flies that route underwater, uh, making measurements of water temperature, salinity, chlorophyll. Uh, there's a lot of different things that it can measure along its way. You left out the power source, Josh. Got like a nuclear pellet in or something to drive her, right? <laughs> what, how well, she, how's she go? There's a few versions. Um, most of the gliders that are deployed are running off of uh, alkaline batteries, actually 250 C-cell batteries um, that are all wired up in the glider. Uh, we have other gliders that use lithiums, um, which just basically give the glider about uh, three times more the endurance. So a typical alkaline deployment will last about a month um if we put lithium batteries it can last three to four months uh sometimes we really load them up with batteries and we can get them out there for a whole year but uh, we're not driving a propeller though are we no that's why they can stay out for that long they actually uh we call them gliders because they literally glide through the water um they uh adjust their buoyancy and ballast so that they can sink and climb in the ocean and as they sink and climb they have wings that basically transfer that sinking into forward motion and the climbing into forward motion and so they're not unlike a glider in the atmosphere except that because the ocean is so thick we can actually get the glider to go up and down sounds graceful and probably fun yeah they you know they uh they call in every once in a while when they're good listeners, and we get about, you know, a phone call three to five times a day, uh, depending on the mission from the glider, and it tells us where it is, uh, sends back the data that it collected since the last phone call, and then, you know, welcomes new waypoints to send a, a different route if we so choose, or it can continue doing what it was doing before. I think it's very interesting how it changes its buoyancy. It has a, an internal bladder with oil. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. There's, there's actually three different motors that we use depending on the mission. Um, if it's working in coastal waters, 
of 200 feet or less uh, total depth. The gliders we have actually have a, a mechanical piston that moves front and back in the glider, and as the piston moves aft, it actually pulls seawater into a void, and that essentially makes the glider sink. Um, when we get into deeper water uh, of 3,000 feet or greater, uh, there's just too much pressure for that piston to, to work against. And so, just as you said, we use an oil bladder system where we have a, a very efficient pump that just moves oil from a bladder that's in the wet section of the glider to a bladder that's in the dry section of the glider. And that's how it can change its, its relative buoyancy and dive and climb. Um, there's actually a third type of motor that's very much in development, um, we just deployed one of these off of Hawaii with the manufacturer Teledyne Web Research up in Falmouth, Mass. Um, that doesn't use any mechanics at all other than the fact that the ocean is warm on top and cold on the bottom. And so it actually changes its buoyancy based on the temperature change in the ocean. Mm. So that has the potential for going for very, very long times then, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. They estimate that, you know, if it works, that that glider could be out for as long as five years. Wow. And how does it turn, too? Can it shifts its own internal weight left and right? Uh, there is a glider that uses internal weight kind of like a hang glider to steer. Um, the Slocum gliders that we use actually have an external surface, a rudder, uh, that is in the tail. And that's driven so by a, that rudder to steer. That's driven by a motor, so you're getting some energy consumption there, right? That's right. Yeah. Huh. What kind of information are you after, Josh? What are, What are you studying? Um, depending on the particular mission, all the gliders are are after t water temperature and water salinity, um, and that is very important as we look at uh, efforts to better model the ocean, so we can predict what the ocean is going to do. We do that a lot with storms. Um, we've been working a lot with uh, recent storms in the area, uh, Hurricane Sandy and Irene. So they, the gliders essentially serve as weather balloons in the ocean. And they give us that critical temperature salinity that has a big impact on how the oceans move. Um, we're also working with uh, sensors that measure phytoplankton and fish. So we can start moving up the food web and understand potentially how changes in temperature and salinity could be impacting where fish are moving uh, and how they move. To uh, you speak of temperature and salinity, I'm a big fan of the uh, Gulf Stream and how it drives the weather. And the Gulf Stream, as they say, is driven by the thermohaline pump temperature That's and right. salinity, you know, and, and it is, uh, like say, pretty important stuff. People um, also say that, you know, uh, sea levels will rise and we'll drown, but if we mess up the uh, salinity and temperature part of the ocean, we'll, we'll be all whacked out by the weather long before we drown. Well, yeah, we the, you know, the ocean is the ultimate thermostat of the planet. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's heat exchanging all from, you know, warm waters from the south up to the north and, and vice versa for the cold waters. And so these gliders are being used more and more now in open ocean missions. They typically were flown along the coast, but now they're going into blue water. And um, those blue water missions are exactly as you say. They're, they're to get a, 
an additional data set on how temperature and salinity is changing, and that can feed into some of the global models that are being run. And these things, uh, you launch them from a boat, and then they come to the surface somewhere, they transpond, and you go pick them up, right? That's it. Yeah, wow. we usually, we've got, we've got uh, one going in this morning off the coast of New Jersey, and they're going out on a small 23-foot center console. Uh, they'll run out for about a half an hour, get a, you know, we want to get into at least about 30 to 40 feet of water. Um, they'll just place it over the side, run a couple tests, and then hand it over to our pilots back on shore, and they'll take control and, and fly it for the next month. Hmm. Interesting. So I understand you're also going to be sending one around the world. Is that correct? Yeah, we're working on a we're working on an international project called the Challenger mission. Um, there was a vessel back in the 1870s called the HMS Challenger. She was out of the uh, out of the UK and uh, was the first ship that was sent out on a purely ocean scientific mission um, to collect data around the world's ocean, and uh, it basically ran a four a four year cruise uh, through all the world's oceans. And what we're trying to do now in recognition of that big accomplishment is to try and replicate that path with ocean glider. Pretty neat. Too Pretty cool. Neat. Well Best of luck to you, I guess, is the best I can say for you, Josh. I think it's pretty amazing, and I think that we're just starting to tap the potential of these gliders here, and uh, you're right on the on the, the very forefront of it. Good for you. Oh, well, thank you. We really enjoyed it, and we're working you know, very hard to get students excited about it within all the university systems that are involved so that they can hopefully carry that enthusiasm through to their careers and, and be as passionate about the ocean as we all are. Do you have a website where anybody could uh, follow what's going, what you're doing? Yes, there's a, a website for the um, the region. It's called um, Maracuz, which is spelled M-A-R-A-C-O-O-S dot O-R-G. Um, and that's a regional consortium of made up of many institutions uh, beyond just Rutgers, and they'll be descriptions of a, a big event that we're calling glider palooza that actually starts this week where we'll have 13 <laughs> of these robots in the ocean from uh nova scotia all the way down to georgia wow. and that can all be tracked from that website that's pretty neat uh josh Kohut, uh rutgers university another fellow not just uh, working but having an adventure at the same time you know that's right the best the best opportunities are that <laughs> yeah excellent josh thank you so much for speaking with us this morning uh thank you for the invitation yeah, yeah. thank you josh boat talk you never know and uh yeah we are uh got a few minutes left here we have uh we have uh, to high-tech our uh, time signal here. We don't have an actual clock. Our clock got stuck, so we don't know. We were treading water here uh, what time it was. And it's a funny way to run a radio program, but here we are. So, yeah. um, One thing I'd like to quick squeeze in, uh, an event happening right here close tomorrow, is the gathering of the Windjammer fleet down at Wooden Boat School tomorrow afternoon. Oh, lovely sight. That's a, that's a, lovely sight. a great thing to take the From kids to. From shore or water. Yeah. Yes. yeah that's a, a truly lovely sight. Bring your camera tomorrow afternoon just go down to a brooklyn maine head to a wooden boat school and park at school and walk down to the shore and you'll just be drop jawed all the great schooners that'll be out there yeah there's been some uh conflicts this summer between uh people trying to share the coast of maine 
you know, and whether it's a beach in Harpswell, now uh, the local people are trying to save a place called Cedar Beach down there. The people have bought the property, of course, don't want uh, the locals going to their now uh, beach that they own. And, and uh, whether it's a lake in western Maine, uh, you know, with the neighbors uh, the shore path squalling or uh, was really surprised to see this in the Ellsworth American the other day. A uh, Rhode Island woman is charged with terrorizing, and this refers to Elizabeth E. Meyer, 60, of Newport, Rhode Island, who is one of the boatiest women uh, in, on the wor- in the world. Uh, she is responsible for a lot of uh, high-end uh, boat philanthropy down in Newport, uh, New York Yacht Club, the International Yacht Restoring School, and America's Cup stuff, a bunch of other stuff. Um, the alleged incident happened around 3.30 p.m. on July 7th off the shore of Hog Island. Hog is a small island located south of Cape Rozier and west of Little Deer, uh, owned by Elizabeth. Mari communicated to man a threat to commit or to cause to be committed a crime of violence dangerous to human life against him. Court file states the specific crime of violence was murder and the threat had the effect of plus, plus, placing the victim in a reasonable fear the crime would be committed. She was summoned and so far. And, uh, boy, if you come here for the uh, place, you can get away from people if you need to. Um, otherwise, you may have to suffer them a little bit. And, uh, you know, what is wrong? Yeah, this is vacation land, and that will just about wrap it up for this boat talk. The hour sailed right by. Stay tuned for... Uh, on the wing coming up next year on Community Radio. Thursday night, Winter Harbor. Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Truthfully, we don't.